The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. Hey, Dr. Bill here. I'm super excited to introduce you to my next friend. This man is legendary. I don't have very many friends that I can say are actually legends. Apollo Ono is a legend. He went to three consecutive Olympics. He won in all three of them. He is the most decorated male Olympian in winter Olympic history ever, ever, ever. And he's going to share his story of success with us. Hey, Apollo. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you coming to Leap. This is the second time that we've, uh, that we've had you as a guest. And, you know, oh, man, this whole COVID thing was so sad, especially for the Olympic athletes. Because I, I know one young man who, you know, was gearing up for the Olympics this year. They think he would have won the all-around gold medal in gymnastics. And I know it's just such a timing process, getting yourself primed and peaked for that. And um, I I felt so bad for those guys. But I want to talk to you about your road to success. And I know it was a long, long road. You grew up in Seattle. You were raised by your dad. You actually started off swimming and kind of skating a little bit. How did you transition into inline skating? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, uh, Bill. It's, it's good to see you again under different circumstances. Um, but I love the fact that you guys are committed to this Leap Foundation and the Leap program. Um, you guys always motivate me to kind of always think outside the box and figure out ways to accomplish what others think is, is impossible. Um, so it's good to be with you guys. So my career began, you know, I'm from Seattle, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I grew up in an era where speed skating was not normal. I think speed skating is still not a normal traditional American sport that we would typically uh, be drawn to. And I saw this really wild sport on television while I was watching the Olympics with my father saw nothing like it before. Um, originally I wanted to play football. I wanted to to be a boxer. My dad said no to both. As you mentioned, I did, I was a swimmer for a long time. Um, and I saw this sport that seemed very unique. Uh, sport was a way bill to kind of keep me both focused and I think hone in on some very specific life skills that I didn't yet know that existed. And my father knew and had this kind of mentorship ability to say, Hey, I want my son to figure out how to hone some of these skills, how to sharpen some of these life lessons and learn from a way that typically he thinks that would accelerate through the sporting path. And so I saw the sport on a short track uh, of short track speeds getting on television. I fell in love with it immediately. I then focused on trying to figure out how we could find local ice skating rinks that I could pr- basically potentially skate in. And that's how my, be- that my career kind of began you know, literally finding empty ice time that didn't exist and trying to figure out with other inline skaters or friends from the local roller rink to go out there. We'd put up these pads that were essentially, they were just mattresses that we found. And we put up these mattresses as pads on the inside of the ice hockey rink. So that if we fell, we, you know, if we fell, we wouldn't get hurt. Um, Fast forward to, you know, getting recognized by some local development coaches in the Pacific Northwest region who then invited me to come be a part of the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, New York at the age of 14. And that was my first introduction into 
call it a professionalized version that created, um, you know, Olympic athletes. And I became a, I, I really kind of became immersed in this program and this training environment and started to get focused in a way that I think not only accelerated, but also taught me about what it was going to be, what was going to be required of me in order to have actual true performance on the international stage. I've been competing well domestically, um, but how do I basically level up? How do I gear up to the next level of both expectation on a personal level? And then how do I surpass what I thought was possible? And so that was a combination of great mentorship, great coaches, and then also curating and finding the strength from within, which was um, interesting to say the least. When you started, how old were you at the first Olympic Games that you competed in? So the first Olympic Games that I was a part of the team and competed on, I was 19. Um, but people don't know is that the first games that I actually tried to compete for, I was 15. And this is the story that people don't talk about, right? So at the age of 14, after training for like eight months, I had skyrocketed and technically I was a, I was number one in the US. So this wasn't for my age group. This was for all age groups. So I was beating grown men who had been skating for 20 plus years, more years than I had been alive on this planet. And I had skyrocketed to this kind of prodigy level of having success. Fast forward another you know, eight months to the Olympic trials for 1998. And this is where everything changed. So instead of me also making that team, I spent the first half of that year kind of squandering away my talents and abilities and not recognizing which direction and path I could have been down and really just taking it for granted and also not recognizing that this was a very important year. So I went to those 98 Olympic trials and I actually finished dead last. So at first glance, you're like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't hear about that failure that Apollo had occurred. It was the greatest thing, Bill, that could have ever happened to me. The, I think, we, we look at pain and we look at these like psychological traumas as things that can be very negative and very detrimental. It was a tool that I leaned on. I never wanted to feel that again. I never wanted to fail at that degree, knowing that I could have, should have, and would have had I gotten another chance. And so that became the catalyst for this obsessive drive and focus, which really drove me and then pulled me to perform at my absolute best ability uh, for the next four years in which I won my first gold at the age of 19. You know, this morning we started and I talked about failure and I told students, you never fail until you give up. So let's not call that failure. That was practice for your success. That's One right. of my favorite leap moments, you know, this is our 13th year of doing leap. One of my favorite leap moments and burned indelibly into my memory was of you. The first time you came, we talked about, you won what, 10 medals in the Olympics? Um, yeah, eight medals total. Yeah. Eight medals total. And you saw what went on at Leap. You looked around the room. As you and I were getting off the stage, you said something to me that I will cherish in my heart forever. You said, you know what, Dr. Bill? If I had had something like Leap growing up, I could have done so much more. Hearing that from a man who was the most decorated winter Olympian in American history really warmed my heart. Um, what I want to talk about now is the fact that you went from one Olympic to the next to the next, three consecutive Olympics. I want to hear what went on inside Apollo's brain 
that got you better and better each time. I remember your first Olympic. I mm-hmm. was glued mm-hmm. to the TV. I was like fan <laughs> number one. And I, I think I literally cried when you fell in that Olympic. I, I, I remember <laughs> having a tear in my eye, like, oh my gosh. And it wasn't until four years later when I saw you in the next Olympics and you won. And then four years later in the next Olympic when you won even bigger. But let's talk about, you know, what it was that that really changed for you from Olympic number one to two to three. Yeah, thank you for all that. And I remember that moment of walking off stage and and telling you that. And I that's why I've been such a big supporter of Leap is I just believe that you know, you've got this, this wonderful blend of academics mixed with great leadership and insights and like real life lessons and stories about things that many people can take with them to diversify their life experience. Because like you said, you will, you will go through life and you'll go through business and you'll go through all these different experiences. And sometimes you won't get exactly what you intended, right? That's just the name of the game and how you react and how you respond to those things will dictate, I think, your happiness and your trajectory moving forward. So um, I really commend you guys for sticking to this for 13 years. It's amazing. Really, really amazing. Um, So looking back on the Olympic career, two things. One, the first Olympics, I was a deer in the headlights. Never experienced this before. This was post 9-11, in which a time which our country was very hungry to come together and get focused on cheering just for one team, right? Not just your local team, uh, really focus on cheering for Team USA. And this was also pre-social media, you know? So it was an era where when people watched things, they were very present, they were very in the moment. And my preparation for that time period was very unique and very different because I have always felt, felt that we had a blueprint for success. Right. I had many years, you know, I had four years of prior winning in, in local competitions and domestic competitions, international competitions prior to me going to the 2002 games. The next Olympic Games, we had to reinvent, we had to pivot, and we had to adapt to a new type of athlete who was coming up through the ranks. They were lighter, more efficient, their body types were a little bit um, more sport specific. And the biggest change uh, in the last four years was was in the cognitive area. So I had to really focus on how I thought about training, how I analyzed and deconstructed my recovery, and then how could I visually prepare for an era which I typically would have aged out. So short track speed skating is a sport where, you know, it's always predominantly been been strength. Uh, the highest strength athletes were always younger, kind of in their early 20s and sometimes in their late teens. And I would have been a veteran in the sport, you know, had I gone to those Olympic Games in 2010. If I looked into the coaches' box, I could say that I had skated against 80% of the coaches. So those coaches knew me intrinsically. They knew me intimately in and out. They knew every single weakness and strength that I had. And the only way to figure out how to get back on the podium was to not use the same blueprint uh, and the same game plan for success. I needed a new one. And that meant changing the way that I thought about the sport, changing the way I thought about myself, changing the way I thought about my weaknesses and my strengths from a nutrition aspect, from a recovery aspect. And I do believe that there's a level of healthy obsession, which is required. I mean, you got to do the work. And so whether it was changing the diet, changing the additional workouts, I mean, I was so immersed, Bill. Um, I, I would argue that we were, we were probably the most in tune and the most intensely trained during that time period on the planet. I mean, we were so dialed in 
uh, mentally and physically. You, you know what I would love for you to tell them? Tell them the story how, you know, A, what you did with your body, how you changed your yeah. body weight, the amount, like, I think you told me you could bench press 1,500 pounds with your legs for the second, yeah, press, for the yeah. last limit, and also how you never took your skates off. I love telling that story. You really wanted your skates to be like part of your body. Share that with our <laughs> students because I think they'd love yeah. to hear that. It's so interesting. Yeah, so we... First, I'll, I'll take you through like a typical day of training, right? So you kind of get an idea around what this looks like. So this is for years and years and years. You know, you wake up quite early. I'm at the ice rink by 7.15, 7.30. Um, I stay there. Uh, I do a, an hour warm up. We're on the ice for about two and a half to three hours. After the ice training session, we have a stair workout. So we do plow metrics on the stairs. Then I'll probably eat something light and then we go home and we have a small break, um, maybe two hours, and then I'll be back at the ice rink, have another in-person um, training session with the rest of the team. And then this is where it gets really interesting. So pre-afternoon workout, we've got like a dry land workout or a weight workout. Then we do the ice training workout in the afternoon. And then I would go home and I would do a third or sometimes a fourth training workout in the basement of my house. So this was developing up this volume of intensity of very specific energy attributes that we were training, whether it was lactic acid training, lactic power, alactic power, strength endurance, um, you know, ballistic sprinting. It was all different all the time. And the, all of the ancillary elements were focused on recovery. So I was either sharpening my skates. I was just literally doing some type of recovery modality. Um, there was a lot of visualization and meditation in the sauna. All these elements were designed to help me propel myself faster to become a better, well-rounded athlete. Now, looking back in that time period, uh, it was an intense, it was very intense and it was, it was very obsessive and it was very one-sided. Um, but I just firmly believe that the mind is so incredibly powerful that if you can somehow figure out and identify what it is that you're seeking and then focus much more on the process versus the prize, that's going to be your first victory. So while we all want to win and while, while I have the metric engaging to say, hey, at the end of this four-year journey, eight-year, 12-year journey, I've got this 40-second race and in that 40-second race, I need to be perfect. Sometimes I can't control every single element in that performance uh, metric on that particular day. But I've got eight years or 12 years or four years of my life that I've allocated. And that is the process. And so that's why I really took it both personally to redevelop and redesign the way we thought about strength training. You know, I started in 2002 at about 165 pounds. I could leg press around 1500, very powerful, very strong as a, as a short track speed skater. Um, fast forward another four years, the sport started to become more sport specific. So we looked more like Tour de France mountain riders, very skinny upper bodies, um, very powerful lower body, obviously, because that's, that's the engine and chassis, so to speak. So in 2006, I was 155, could still leg press the same amount of weight. And then fast forward to 2010, the sport had changed. And it changed because athletes were no longer bulky up top. And they really were much more focused on how to become sport specific and efficient. So athletes were getting lighter and lighter. And diet and nutrition and having any excess muscle mass was not a part of the training program. So that entire two-year journey leading up to the last Olympic Games that I competed in, we had to go in a catabolic state. So catabolic meanings my body was really using its own muscle as fuel to try to strip away some of that excess upper body mass that I had. And by the way, at 155, I was, I was pretty lean. Like I was in great shape. 
I want to drop down to 145, which means I'd have to lose another 10 pounds at the tail end of my career. And I still want to leg press the same amount of weight or more. So by the time I stepped into the Vancouver arena, I was around 142 actually after sauna and kind of dialing in my nutrition. And I could still leg press around about, about almost, almost 2000 pounds, around 1900 pounds. That's, so that that's was amazing. You know, yeah. and you know, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but as you're talking, and I want the students to be aware of this, he's never saying I or me, it's we. You were a team, you know, and yeah. you have not said the word I or me once in this whole thing. It's always we, we did this, we did that. We, and, and just for perspective, I need to put the mic down for a second, but y y you guys, you have to understand, in the sport that Apollo competed in, the difference between a gold and a bronze medal is basically like, right? I mean, as you're going across the finish line, it's basically that fast. And I mean, and so every little thing that you can do to give yourself just a fraction of a second more of an advantage is the difference between meddling and not meddling. And I love the story about you never taking your skates off except for like showers. <laughs> yeah, right. Tell that because that, I think that's like amazing. So, and this is speed skating is not a natural sport. Like, it, like our bodies are not designed for it. Like, we're designed to walk and run, but speed skating, you know, you want to crouch down into like this, like almost like a, you want to make yourself into a small ball. Right. And it's not a, it's not a natural human biomechanic position. And so the only way that I felt that I could make that natural is to a sleep with my skates on. Right. I mean, without the blades on, of course, but just the actual shoe part, I would sleep with them on so that my body and my feet would get so used to being in that environment and in that in using that as a tool. It felt like a sock. It didn't feel like this carbon fiber Kevlar leather infused, um, you know, foreign device on my foot. Uh, it felt like it was just walking around barefoot. And that was really important to me. I even remember driving to the ice rink in the morning on my way to practice and shifting my body weight in the car to, I would sit on my right hip and my left hip would be pointed up and into the left driver's side door, because that's the angle that you would want to be when you skated. And I wanted to just drill this into my brain this is the normal. This is what it needs to be. doesn't matter if this feels uncomfortable now. Over time, I will adapt to it. And I mean, we all, you got to get your reps in, right? So mentally, I was performing there. Uh, physically, I was performing there. Um, everyone's heard of the 10,000 hour rule. And so I just, I felt like, what can I do that no one else is doing? Call me crazy. It doesn't matter. But if this is going to make a fraction of a hair of a difference, and like you mentioned, the difference between first and not third, first and fourth is that difference. So the difference between winning a medal and not winning a medal is hundreds, sometimes thousands of a second difference. And so the things do matter. The little things do matter. And while you can't control the actual outcome of that race, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis should be where your pride and joy is. And that's why it's always process over prize. You have a big audacious goal that you think is phenomenal and, and you want to knock out of the park. Awesome. I love it. What is the process to get there? How do you reverse engineer where you want to be in four or eight years? And then what are the things that you need to do today to accelerate that trajectory in terms of achieving that goal? 
That's up to you. No one else can do that for you. No one's going to give it to you. No one's going to give you access easier than anyone else. Um, you got to go out there and you got to get it. And you have that ability. You know, uh, I want to go back to that, that first Olympic. And I think one of the hardest lessons for us to learn in life is life isn't fair. A lot of times it's not yeah. fair. You know, here you work and work and work and train and train and train. And in that one race, which literally can define your whole life, you fell. And it wasn't your fault. You know, what was going through your mind in that moment? Because I know I sat home and even I shed a tear and I didn't even know you that. I, I didn't know that in the future we'd even become good friends. But, yes. but what's, I mean, I mean, you literally dedicate your whole life to that moment and then bam, what goes through your mind at that point? So to kind of give you context and backstory, the first Olympic games that I competed in the first final that I had made, I was the reigning, um, world cup champion. I had won this race many, many times in the previous 24 months against all the existing competitors. And I'm in the first final, the 1,000 meter men's final. I'm in the lead with two laps to go. I'm in the lead with one lap to go. I'm in the lead with a half lap to go. And then in the last one fifth of the race, a quarter of a lap or so remaining, I'm literally seconds from the finish line. An athlete falls into the backside of me, which takes out the guy behind him and the guy before him. All three of us fall into the pads. Now, instinctually, I get up as fast as I can. I throw my skates over the finish line because unlike track and field, it goes by your skate, not by, by your chest in terms of crossing that tape or that finish line. And it ended up actually winning silver in that race. But my whole life was designed to win gold. I felt it. I tasted it. I even thought it, which maybe was a mistake. And we talk about process over prize, right? And I even remember thinking like, I have, it's, it's, it's mine. I'm going to win this race. And then like that, gone. I'm in the pads. The Australian guy who's a half lap behind crosses the finish line and he ends up winning gold for his country. And my, my feelings are, are mixed. I'm confused. My adrenaline is skyrocketed. I ended up cutting my own leg, like basically stabbing my left leg as I fell into the pads to the sheer velocity. When you go 30 miles an hour, you can't control where your legs are going after you hit the pads. Um, and so that was a, a complete disarray of emotions and didn't know what to think. And I'm just trying to replay the race thousand times in my head. Then I get off the ice. I go into the locker room. I pull down my racing suit. I kind of slump down and sit down. And I look at my left leg and I see this hole in, the, in, the, in my left leg where my blade basically sta I stabbed myself. And that's when I call, you know, our trainer at the time and he walks in and he's got this like, you know, bewildered look on his face because we all did because we, no one knew what just happened. It was like really the first time Americans had even seen this crazy sport that looked like NASCAR on ice. And he looks at me and he goes, that was the craziest race I've ever seen in my life, Paul. That was amazing. And it was in that moment where my friend, his name was Brent. He was our, our sports physio where I recognized that although I couldn't control the true outcome of this race, and I had dedicated every ounce of my being to win that race, and I thought that I was going to win, and I thought that I should have won, and I thought that I deserved to win, I didn't. And I wasn't in control of the outcome. 
And it was at that moment and by sheer nature of this sport, short track speed skating, in which we recognized, hey, I didn't lose the gold. I won the silver. And life is going to be like that for many of us in many ways. The beginning of 2020, I had the most audacious goals like many people did. Uh, we knew that Leap Foundation was going to be amazing. It was going to be in person. We were going to rock it. It was going to be a total concert. You know, people jam people in there. And then boom, we get thrown in the pads. All the, a global epidemic and pandemic has occurred and ensued. And now we got to figure out how we're going to react, but not react. How are we going to respond to that situation? So I could have very easily said, and we could have all been like, oh, that race was mine. It was stolen from me. That athlete knocked me down and put the blame on someone else. Or we can take ownership over what just happened, realize that, hey, life happens. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. And that's, that's the name of the game. But how you as an individual respond in the face of fire, in the face of self-doubt and fear and insecurity and failure, and how do you turn that failure into challenge and turn that challenge then into opportunity, I promise you, is going to change the way that you, A, look at life and B, the way you experience life and then C, move from life as happening to me to life is happening for me. And that is a cognitive shift. And the beauty about this is no one who's watching this probably has any desire to go become an Olympic short track speed skater. And it doesn't matter because that lesson is transferable in any career path. It is a cognitive adjustment that we as human beings have the ability to change. And that's, that's what I want to, that's my main resonating message. I think for everyone watching, Bill. Yeah. I mean, in short, when you get lemons, you make lemonade, you know, Absolutely. I mean, that's what it's about, you know? And you know, there are so many times when my daughters come up to me and they go, dad, that's not fair. And I said, nobody ever said life was fair. You know, that's it's right. your perception of a situation that really is going to dictate how you're going to navigate through life. You know, when you say, you know, ah, I didn't win the gold medal or you say, hey, I want a silver medal. You know, it's like the glass is half empty or half full. And I right. think that one of the important things that you guys need to do as students is realize you will have challenges in life. There will be times that things don't go the way you actually want them to go. But how you respond is going to dictate your successes versus your failures. And if you don't give up, you won't fail. You know, uh, you know, Paulo, if, if you had a LEAP student run up to you right now and say really quickly, Apollo, tell me what's the secret of your success? Like, bam, one word. I would say there is no secret. I would say that you have the answers to what you desire and what you seek. Um, I would say it probably starts with something that I call the five golden principles. Okay. So I'll share these five golden principles. They're fairly easy to understand. And I'll go through them very briefly and then I'll explain each one uh, as we go through. Number one is gratitude. Number two is giving. Number three is grit. Number four is gearing up your personal expectations. And number five is getting into action. Go. 
So gratitude, we know what that is. Grateful for the elements and the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of you today. Grateful for the fact that you are part of the Leap Foundation and the Leap Organization, and you've got access to information and insights and leadership and, and, and winners from all over the planet. Um, recognizing that this is not going to be easy. Life is full of challenges. And if you can change your mindset to go into those challenges and say, I will thrive in this mindset. I will get better because of this mindset. I will get better because of this experience. You're creating and curating a grit and a growth mindset. We know what that is. Four is you want to make true changes in your life. Your habits that you do on a day-to-day basis, they make up who you are. So what is your routine in the morning? What is your routine in the evening? What are the things that you are doing to prime and prepare yourself for the morning and for the evening in a way that will greatly dictate your performance? So gearing up your expectations, what do you deem as being acceptable to yourself and what level of standard do you want to operate in? Very important. And the fifth, got to get into action. I don't care what your goal is. For me, it was planning the year early for speed skating making sure I make small adjustments throughout the year. And then at some point, I got to put that plan into action. I got to go out there and test to see what I made of. I, I think those are so, so valuable. And, you know, <laughs> you, you mentioned that we started off this year so excited for an epic leap. Um, I showed Apollo before we started this. Marvin, if you could kind of scan what you did for Apollo here. I mean, we literally had to build a little studio up here um, where, you know, we're in, in this big um, room <laughs> here. We built our backdrop screen. We imported our leap letters from last year from the stage. And then we have like tons and tons and tons of AV equipment over there. But you know what? We made lemonade, you know, and um, we're going to give as much of the content that we normally give for Leap as we can. And our coaches, amazing, I love you guys, have all pulled together. Um, we were so fortunate this year, Apollo. This is the first year in Leap history that we actually funded the full program prior to Leap starting, and we were able to give out enough scholarships. You ready for this? You have a thousand kids watching you right now on this. Amazing. This is the biggest leap in Leap history. So as much as I hate COVID and everything COVID-related, <laughs> yeah. the lemonade is we are able to give this program to more students than we've ever been able to give it to in the history of LEAP. And going forward, I'm going to make a pledge to keep this a hybrid program where we'll still have the in-person live program at UCLA, but we'll also have the virtual program so students that can't come to UCLA will get the experience. It's a whole new world we're living in. It really is. I love the fact that you guys did that. And, and this is, this is different, right? So you got, look, you have to adapt, you have to reinvent and you have to pivot. Those are three prerequisites. And if you can do those well, um, I think you'll have great success across the board. So you just led me into the next era of Apollo three time Olympic athlete, mm -hmm. finish the Olympics. Obviously you're not going to compete in any more Olympics. Right. <laughs> what do you do in life? I mean, you spent your whole life with a goal and you achieved that goal. What's next for you in your life and where are you going now? Yeah. So I, I've had the, the absolute pleasure 
and, and I'm so grateful to be able to travel the world when I retired in search of business opportunities, learning dynamic relationships, getting immersed into cultures and having my hands into a little bit of everything. And what I've recognized really in the past three years is that the one element that I love the most is connecting with other humans, sharing these stories of both passion, inspiration, motivation, failures and wins and the lessons and insights associated. And so now I'm focused on two things. One, um, I'm digitizing a program that is designed to help curate the gold medal mindset within many people all across the U.S., and focusing on the organizations and the entrepreneurs and the companies who are looking at leveling up, who are looking at increasing those human behavioral elements in a way that says, hey, how do I change the way that I was and move towards the way that I want to be? And so that, that program is designed to help create greater engagement of employees and coworkers, to increase the awareness and understanding and empathy towards one another, to improve the, the performance associated. And so while I, in a nutshell, Bill, I want to change the world by helping people achieve what they've always desired and help them really truly level up and actually reach the level of potential that has always been within them, but teaching them, showing them and educating them and really just guiding them to say, hey, look, I've been in your shoes. I too have felt your pain and that cannot limit us. It can only actually make us stronger. So because before it was all done virtually, it was all done in person, we're now digitizing that process and company. And that's what I'm focused on is how do I impact this world in a positive perspective? How do I get people hungry, excited, and motivated and enthusiastic about living life the way that on their terms and in the way that they really want to, and hopefully they can resonate and provide impact for the next generation as well. I love that about you. You know, I always say, he who gives receives the greatest gift. And it's really true. You know, when you get to a point in your career, and I'm telling this to all you students, when you get to a point in your career where you are infinitely successful in what you're doing, please remember to give back. Make the world a better place for you having been here. You know, I love what you're doing, Apollo. I, I admire you so much. You really are my only friend that I would say is a true legend. <laughs> and I nice can't thank, thank you. you enough for coming out, taking the time to support us, to support me, to support LEAP, and to being a, a mentor for this program. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Leap Foundation, on Instagram at Leap Foundation, and on Twitter at Leap Los Angeles. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.